It is really good to be home. Um, before I start, let me do this. Let me teach you a Korean word, okay? Because I don't know if you know I'm Korean, uh, like your, like your uh, Pastor June here. Um, turn your neighbor and say the word jung. And then say, I've got serious jung for you. Okay, I got some Koreans kind of giggling at me. The word chung means, it, it's, it's a complex word. It means a lot. It's, it's, I don't think it's an easy English translation, but it means like attachment, um, affection, a sense of belonging. It's a word that describes fellowship at a deep level. And that's what I feel for you guys, a rich sense of chung. So when you see your Korean brothers and sisters in the hallway or, you know, coming in and out of rooms, just grab one of them and say, I got serious junk for you. And you'll either put a giant smile on their face or they'll be a little freaked out. Either way. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Um, turn your Bibles with me to Acts uh, 16. Um, I flew in last night, flying out tomorrow morning. So I'm just here for a minute. And I was thinking about... Uh, what word to share, and I thought I'd preach something that's right from the pages of my life and heart. Um, Acts 16, I'm going to read to you this account, starting in verse 16, of Paul and Silas in prison. Chapter 16, verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. I wish my annoyance was that anointing. Man. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to to be saved. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. We'll stop there. Lord, be with us as we study this word. How many of you have had an experience where you had a massive breakthrough from God? Okay? And you don't necessarily have to raise your hands. I know if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, at some point, God has shown up in a dramatic way. 
But for how many of you have you had immediately after that breakthrough this weird experience of being plunged into a deeper trial? Where you're like, God, I wish you hadn't touched my life because it's worse now. Thank you very much. Like, I appreciated the breakthrough, but, but right after this, why did I just fall off a cliff? <laughs> um, and you almost feel kind of set up because that first breakthrough, you get a taste of like God being awesome, only to have the rug pulled out from underneath you, and you are in a strange, confusing, painful place. This has happened to me so frequently that I think it's a pattern. I think this is the way God works. For example, um, when we planted our church, uh, it started with uh, myself on stage giving a general call to an informational meeting uh, somewhere in the rooms back there. This is before we had this glorious auditorium. It was more over there. And, uh, and strangers showed up, and, and eventually 11 people signed up to leave their home, their job, and travel with us to, uh, to L.A. That was the first breakthrough. I had people. And then I wrote letters, made phone calls, made personal pitches, and money started coming in. So that combination of the fact I have a team of people who want to follow this random Asian guy, and all this money was this amazing, amazing breakthrough. And we land in L.A., ready to take this city for God, only to have my wife experience a kind of sickness and illness we had never experienced before in life for several years. It was never, I mean, I, I have given you glimpses into that story, but family, like there were nights where we wanted to quit and leave the city. It was so bad. Moments where my wife thought she was dying. And I was thinking to myself, I left Virginia for this? Like you gave us a team and money for, for this? Now, of course, that's not the end of the story. This was, God never leaves you in a pit, amen? There's a second breakthrough coming. But in between the breakthroughs, that's the title of my sermon, between the breakthroughs, you find yourself in a weird valley. But I've heard it said, and I think it's true, the fruit is grown in the valley. You don't grow stuff up on mountaintops. And so the valley is not just this thing you just grit your teeth and get through and wait for the next breakthrough. The valley is actually the place that sets up the next breakthrough. The first breakthrough, very often, it's what God does to you, but the second breakthrough is what God does in you. The first breakthrough, you're impressed with God. The second breakthrough, God's impressed upon you. But the nexus between those two places is the valley. And how we move through that valley is what sets up that second breakthrough that's so much better After those two years, my wife experienced healing, praise God. And in the midst of that pain, we launched a church back in 2015, Easter. And it was an amazing breakthrough, but in between was a valley. In our passage we just read today, Paul and Silas experienced a very similar thing. They have a massive breakthrough. They find themselves in prison, which leads to another amazing, even richer breakthrough, but in between is a valley. And a few things I pulled out from their story that I think will help us between our breakthroughs is, the, here's the first thing, is do not be surprised. Do not be surprised if life gets harder after a breakthrough. Paul and Silas have just crossed into Europe 
And they're bringing a gospel, the gospel to a continent that has not yet known Jesus. And God's doing amazing things. Paul is casting out demons while he's annoyed. I have never done anything spiritual when I was annoyed. Paul's so anointed that in his annoyance, demons flee. It's amazing. And so Paul's bringing the gospel into an area that has not known the gospel. And, and uh, as you read, uh, Paul casts out a demon. He's doing signs and wonders like he always does. Um, the whole city gets mad. They're taken, arrested, flogged, um, which means whipped, and back then, they had a nickname for that process. It's called half-death, because literally, you're half-dead. You, some people don't survive. It is that bad. They're whipped to the point of death, and then taken to maximum security, which is basically, you're put into kind of the inner stocks, the inner cells, where you have the least chance of escaping, and you're, 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 you're chained to the ground, uh, ankles and arms, and just, you're, yeah, bad. And you're asking, and you should be asking, what? How can this be? Where you've positioned Paul and Silas to break into an area that's so strategic, does not know the gospel. Paul and Silas are doing great work. Why are they now in prison, bleeding, clothes tattered? How can this be? And Peter says in chapter 1, verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Later in chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter is saying, don't be surprised, people, when on the heels of something good, you're tested. When there's, when there's a trial set on fire. These have come as tests, Peter says, that will eventually produce glory and honor and joy. Don't be surprised these trials come because God is going to test you. What are the, why, why test? Why do we take tests? It's to take what you think you know and make sure you know it. What you think you know and, and you know it enough where it's inside you and you can bear weight and produce something. That's what tests do. I've got a friend who's a civil engineer and thank God he's got to be tested. In LA, you have to know about seismic stuff because our ground shakes. And so if you're not tested and you can't, past the ex multiple exams to be a civil engineer, you don't get the credentials to sign off on blueprints. Thank God. Because you don't want someone who's not credentialed and qualified and tested to build something that'll bear weight and people. Anyone that you rely on professionally, whether it be a plumber or, or a doctor, you hope they're tested because then their knowledge is substantial enough to bear weight, to produce something of good. And what Peter is saying and what Paul and Silas are experiencing, what you're experiencing between the breakthroughs is that very often when you are experiencing something of God in that first breakthrough, all he's doing is getting your attention. I'm a God who heals. I'm a God who gives. But to have that become conviction, he'll test it. He'll test it with trials. He'll test it. This reminds me of um, a TV show I love to watch. Um, it's called Gold Rush. 
and uh, you have camera crews following various mining operations, uh, mostly in Alaska. And um, I love it because it's clean. Um, there's burly men. Uh, and I was of a bigger size than that. I related to those men. Um, they, they dug giant holes with big machines. I mean, what's there not to love as a man? And you watch Gold Rush. Um, and so what they do is they, they dig up ground for gold-bearing dirt. And then they have to truck it over to a wash plant to sift the dirt and find gold. And somehow this is compelling to me. But what happens is, you know, you get a permit for a certain amount of land, you, you dig it up, and, and, and then you, you're done. Like, and, and whatever season you have left in the gold mining, you need more dirt. And so they acquire more land, except that in between where the gold, the gold load is, the gold dirt, and, 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 their, and their wash plant is this river. And they have to cross over it. And they don't have time to wait for a real bridge. They have to make their own bridge. And so, and so these, these people who are smart, they, they calculate, okay, we need this many logs, and, and this will get us access to that gold paying, that gold load, that gold dirt. Uh, and so they throw a bunch of logs on. But they're not quite sure if they can put their expensive trucks over it until they test it. And so there comes that moment of truth where they drive a truck over that bridge, and the camera crew's there, and it's all dramatic, and they, 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 they may hype it up like the truck might fall through. I mean, they wouldn't show it if a truck fell through and people lost their lives. So it's not really tense, but they make it tense. But the truck rolls over it, the log shake, and it holds. Then they load it up with the gold. They have to drive it back over now with paydirt on it. And then again, the camera crew, the music, and the bridge shakes a little more. But it crosses over, and everyone's celebrating because it means they can access this treasure. Because now they have a bridge that can bear weight. Your faith is a bridge to God. Do you understand that? What connects you to the gold of God? It says your faith is worth more than gold. There's treasure here in God, but you're over here, and faith is your bridge. The greater your faith, the wider and stronger that bridge. The more you can take of God and bring it down. And the way God strengthens it so you have confidence to drive giant trucks through to get more of God is he tests you with trials. So you got a measure of God in that first breakthrough. He healed something. Here's what God does. He lets my wife be sick for two years. And I, we clung to God. We put our hope in him. And God heals her. Now this thing can bear some weight. Like the, the, the little bit of healing I've experienced before, I, you know, it's a shaky bridge. It was a one-time experience. But when you suffer for two years and God shows up and he heals you, I mean, that you can drive a truck through that. You got a raise, a promotion. You got a, a slightly bigger paycheck, a modicum of faith. God is good. But let me tell you how he makes you know that God is your provider. You lose your job. They're like... And he shows up miraculously in your greatest time of need. Now that thing can bear some weight. The harder life gets, all God is doing is just testing and testing to strengthen your faith so you can access more gold, access more of God. I think very often your first breakthrough is just a heads up, this is where God will test you. Okay? Heads up, here's the area where God's going to do some stuff in your life, to take 
the little bit of knowledge you got from your first breakthrough and drive it in until you have a second breakthrough. Second, here's what else I see. Praise him at midnight. Listen, Paul and Silas, they knew this wasn't the end of the story. They're not going to just end up chained to a dungeon and die there. They knew there was a second breakthrough coming. But they had no idea exactly what would happen. But they put themselves in a posture to prepare themselves for that second breakthrough. There's an amazing detail in verse 25. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing to God. Now, I want you to think about this. They were beaten halfway to death. Their flesh is ribboned with lacerations. Their clothes in tatters, bloody clots all around their bodies, chained, with the chains chafing against their ripped skin. Cold, dank, dark. And then midnight. At least in the morning, there's daylight. Maybe there's visitors. At least when day breaks, there might be breakfast. But midnight? That's a long way to go till daybreak. If you're not asleep when you're in pain and you're awake at midnight, that's torture. And yet they're singing. And they're praying. You get a sense, because if it was me, and I was awake at midnight, I'd be screaming, God, why, please? (laughs) And the prisoners would just ask me to please shut up. (laughs) But the surrounding prisoners were leaning in so mystified because out of their mouths were not screams of agony and bitterness and anger, but praise, hymns, songs, and prayers. Now, we know what was happening in Paul's mind because, because based on these experiences, he would reflect and write in Philippians chapter 4, the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. I don't doubt that at some point they prayed, Lord, set us free. We have a greater call than to be locked up. But they sang it. They had praise on their lips. They were thanking God amidst their trials. And then he continues to write, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so here, Paul and Silas, chained, bleeding, broken. They have no reason to sing, especially at midnight. But here they are proclaiming thanksgiving and singing. And you're thinking, well, that's because Paul is Paul and Silas is Silas. No, they're men. They're people who have every reason to be discouraged and depressed. But they made a choice that in this hour, when it's midnight and they're awake, probably because it's so painful they can't sleep, they're going to lift their voice and praise God. They're going to put their faith in a place where they know They can stand. And from a place of thanksgiving, they're going to draw down heaven. And as they sang, the atmosphere shifted. You had prisoners who were also awake with them. When's the last time prisoners stay awake to hear two men sing? 
Like something happened in that room, that place where there should be no hope. Midnight, when you're tortured and bloody, there should be no hope. And these men are seeing a glow coming out of these two men's lives and out of these two men's mouths. And only when the atmosphere shifts does the ground shake. The singing precedes the shaking. The atmosphere shifts and then the circumstances change. The cell is filled with worship before it breaks open. Paul and Silas had no clue that would happen. Well, we don't read of it, but they did know that when you stand by faith on the promises of God and you thank him in advance, supernatural things will happen. How many of you feel like in uh, in between the breakthroughs, you're in a midnight hour where it doesn't make any sense and it hurts? One great way to stand on those promises God's trying to put inside you is to just worship and thank him in advance, declare his glory, and put your mind on Jesus Christ, not on your circumstances. And God will break through. We sing the song, we raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. We raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief. We, we raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. We raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. The context of that song, the authors, Jonathan and Melissa Helser, wrote that song when one of their dear friends uh, had a son named Jackson in the hospital who had a severe infection and he was about to die. And, and his parents text this couple, and says, um, the doctors are saying he doesn't have much time. And they wrote that song and sang it in the midnight hour, and Jackson lived. How many of us need to raise a hallelujah in the midst of ourselves, in the midst of the midnight hour, so the atmosphere in us shifts before the circumstances shift? The last thing. Don't cheat the process. Don't cheat the process. Um, There is a process God wants to take you through, and it's not easy. It never is. And sometimes the devil can present false outs so that you can shortcut the pain. So think about this, guys. Um, Peter and Silas are imprisoned and they're hurting Earthquake, cell doors open. If that was me, I'm like, that's the answer. I'm, I'm gone. I'm out. God showed up. I'm, I'm gone. Okay, well, I'm free, but those men who were, who were flirting with the presence of God, they don't know anything. I'm gone. Because Paul and Silas were worshiping and were waiting upon God, they got revelation that this is not just about them. Something has to happen here. What Satan meant for evil, God had just positioned them to do an even greater ministry. And so when the prison doors opened, they had no urgency to run because they're already free, they're already on call. They know exactly where they're supposed to be, which is why it's so important that in the valley you're worshiping your way through 
so you can hear the voice of God and you don't take the easy out because there's red herrings, guys. The will of God is not always the shortest way to end pain. Very often, it's the opposite of the will of God. We, we self-medicate and shortcut the pain because we can't handle it and we just don't want to deal with it. But that doesn't mean that's the will of God. The will of God is to actually hear the will of God and ask him, God, what are you trying to do in this moment? And they heard, there's a people here who need to hear God. And so when the prison doors opened, they stayed. They weren't released by God. They stayed. And because of that, jailers got saved. Prisoners heard the gospel. Light came into the darkest place. And doesn't Isaiah 61 say that the good news came to free the captives? So after that breakthrough and after the launching of the church, we found ourselves in another valley. This time, the devil came after uh, one of my children. And I can't go into detail, but it was a very severe attack. And once again, my wife and I are asking ourselves, is this worth it? Do we plant a church and sacrifice a child? Maybe we need to just go. Maybe this city's too hard. I mean, it was the kind of attack that takes your breath away, and you're like, I can't, I, can't hand, I can't do this. We can't do this. But we never heard God say go. He didn't release us. And so we sang through midnight. Just raise the hallelujah. Called Pastor Brett. He raised the hallelujah. Um, the elders of this church raised the hallelujah for us. We struggled, prayed, and had good people pray with us. And we stayed. This past Easter, over a thousand people came into our church. And... I look over at my daughter. She's got both hands up worshiping God. Thank you, Jesus. I wasn't released. I wasn't released. Sometimes, friends, as you worship God in the midst of your trials, as you seek him, you realize you're not just suffering for you. There's something for your children. Something for your coworker. There's something for your spouse. They, they need to see you triumph through prayer, they need to see something supernatural in your life. And so you are worshiping, not just for the opening of prison doors so you can be free, but for those around you to be free. My daughter wouldn't be lifting her hands, worshiping God, if we had ran. So would you stand with me, people? I need you. I want you as one of your shepherds from the distant land of Los Angeles to raise up a hallelujah in your midnight. You might be like most of my life between breakthroughs. If you just had a breakthrough, I guarantee the testing is coming. Not because God doesn't like you, because God wants to just strengthen that connection he has with you so you can stand on even thicker promises. So if you find yourself between breakthroughs, if you find yourself wounded, hurt, at midnight, chained to something. Let's raise up a hallelujah. Let's raise up a hallelujah. Let's shift, change and shift the atmosphere here. 
I don't have to say anything else. Let's have the worship team lead us. Amen.